Hello and welcome to episode 7 of the Upper 90. I'm Sam Culp. Glad to be back talking all things Premier League here on the WMUC Sports Network of Podcasts. Got another great episode for you this week. I'll be breaking down all the games from the Premier League's uh, first week of two matches. So we had some midweek games that were really exciting, including Liverpool-Tottenham. Also the Manchester Derby over the weekend. And then uh, Arsenal with another crushing loss. I'll be breaking all of that down and more. Let's get right into it, starting with the big news from the week. Slavin Bilic, the West Brom manager, was sacked on Wednesday. Pretty surprising news when you look at West Brom's start. Not too shabby of a beginning to the season in 13 matches played under Bilic in the Premier League. One win, four draws, eight losses. Really not a terrible start for a team that obviously promote, just promoted from the championship. Predicted to finish near the bottom of the table, but off to a decent start. They're actually still in 19th place, so it's looking like they will get relegated again. But they're coming off of a 1-1 draw against Manchester City on Tuesday, where they looked pretty good. They have some really uh, good young developing players Connor Gallagher, Matthias Pereira, just to name a few. This was a, a club that I thought, if they could develop some of those young guys, could start making an impact in the top flight. And it seemed like Bilic was the right man to lead the squad. Again, they looked competitive this season. Fulham, much different start. They've kind of reined it in, but they, they were really the, the promoted squad who was looking very flat to start the year and losing just about every game they played. West Brom wasn't like that. They were competitive. They, again, got a really nice result during the midweek against Manchester City, a hot Manchester City and a healthy Manchester City to uh, to, to boot. So that's a, that's a good result, and you wouldn't expect a manager to be sacked right after that. But the Athletic kind of reported on the reasons behind the unraveling of Bilic's tenure at West Brom. He had been there since 2019, Was it seemed, starting to build something. But The Athletic, again, reporting that he was actually ready to resign in October, uh, and, the, and the decision uh, about his sacking was actually made over the weekend, but uh, due to COVID-19 testing, they couldn't bring in a replacement in, or an interim before that. So that's why they waited until this Man City result. It didn't really have a factor the uh the Man City game did on Billich's firing, which uh, is a little surprising, but it seemed like it, it was a mutual parting of ways. It looks like both both sides are ready to move on. It also seemed that Billich was a little bit upset at some of the moves the club was making, uh, some some definitely questionable decisions uh, from West Brom over the summer, giving a, a really high wage to Diangana is one of them, a player that has hasn't really. Uh, prove themselves in the Premier League. I think it's questionable to give a massive five-year deal to an upper up-and-comer like that, and it seemed like uh, Diangana really wasn't in Bilic's plans. It was more of the ownership's decision to sign him from West Brom. So, again, just seemed like a mutual parting of ways for both sides. The replacement, however, is interesting. The replacement for Bilic at West Brom is Sam Allardyce. If you haven't heard the name before, he was the England manager a couple years back. He's also managed... Crystal Palace, Everton, a couple other a couple other English Premier League squads. So he's experienced in the league. He's a well-known name. What makes this interesting, though, is Allardyce's 
style of play and his way of thinking about football. He's a very forward-thinking manager, a very progressive guy for someone who's 66 and been managing for quite a long time. Um, he's, he's really big into sports science. That's kind of his, um, his MO. He, he really likes to focus on analytics and, uh, you know, from, from, in terms of his tactics, it's, it's going to be a lot of long ball stuff. Um, the clubs that he manage manages are, are generally really good at getting the ball from defense to the attack quickly, which is something that would certainly help West Brom. And it's, it's definitely a very different it's a contrast to what Billich was running you know from 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 someone who hasn't followed West Brom super closely over the past year and and even recently into the Premier League season because they are near the bottom of the table it it is clear though that this is a change of direction for West Brom and they want to move forward rather than kind of just staying uh, in a rut in the same ways if they get sent down things change immediately because I'm not sure that Allardyce is going to want to stay on with a club who's going to be competing in the championship next year. But it's different. It's new. West Brom has been a yo-yo club for so long. I think they're just uh, the, the ownership there is just thinking this could spark something new. And Allardyce is certainly progressive and will certainly bring a new flair to the club. In terms of injury news, the big announcement from the week was from Liverpool, and it's it's another brutal blow for a squad that has already been decimated by injury. They're going to lose Diogo Jata for what is looking like one and a half to two months with a knee injury. Another muscle injury, another knee injury to be quite frank. Joe Gomez, Virgil van Dijk, both down with knee injuries. Um, and it's it's another blow for Liverpool. They got they they were still able to get a huge win against Tottenham today, uh, Wednesday. So it's looking like they'll be just fine without him. Next man up mentality at Liverpool, it, it, it's something that we've seen from them ever since Jurgen Klopp arrived. They're not going to back down unless Jurgen Klopp is gone. And even then, I'm not sure the players uh, at that squad are really built for rolling over and and giving the Premier League to someone else. They're the defending champs for a reason. I've said this before on the podcast. Injuries aren't going to stop them. Injuries certainly aren't going to stop Jurgen Klopp from managing to his best to the best of his abilities and using whatever bodies he has to get points. And against Tottenham today, I'll go into the match a little bit later, but the, uh, Curtis Jones, one of their youngsters, 19 years of age from Liverpool, has been in their academy, has really played well in the absence of some of their key guys and is going to be a piece going forward for Liverpool, certainly. But right now, he's stepping up in a big way. They've, they've also had, you know, Mohamed Salah is always going to be a, a key contributor, as is Sadio Mane, Fabinho, Firmino. Firmino. So, uh, all these guys are still there. That core remains, so Liverpool are still going to be competitive. Losing Jota, though, he's been their hottest player. It's going to hurt in terms of goal scoring. But again, you know they'll they'll find the pieces and find ways to win matches, and 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 they're certainly up there in terms of who who's going to be competing for the title. This is one of the most open seasons I think I've ever seen in the Premier League. So Liverpool, once they get healthy, they're especially going to be scary, and they've got some time to do so with Manchester United, Chelsea struggling in the past two matches. 
they've got they've they they are ahead by three points right now on the table, so they've got that that cushion there. And again, once they get healthy, they're going to be dominant, just like we're we're accustomed to seeing. Arsenal is also dealing with a couple of injuries right now. Their best player, Thomas Partey, looks to be out probably for the next couple games. We'll see. It's kind of up in the air with him, uh, but he he's such a essential part of the Arsenal attack and. In their last two matches against Southampton and Burnley, it's pretty clear that they have they have missed his creativity in the midfield big time. Because against Burnley, they really weren't starting anything. Against Southampton, they were better, but still struggled in the midfield and were dominated by two teams that on on you'd expect Arsenal to be beating regularly. They drew with South Southampton uh, today, one one. They lost to Burnley at the Emirates at home, one nil. On Sunday, they really need him back if Arsenal want any chance to pull themselves back into the top 10. So because I have so many matches this week that I want to talk about, there's a lot of really exciting games during the midweek as well. I'm going to try to just make make the breakdowns per game a little bit shorter. Uh, starting off with the Manchester Derby from the weekend, I feel like I can kind of this unfortunately was a match where I can kind of just not get it out of the way, but nil um, nil draw. It was pretty boring. I mean, not really any huge chances, which was definitely surprising considering how well the two clubs had been playing offensively up till this point. But it seemed like they were just evenly matched. Manchester United really never got into the flow of their offense. Bruno Fernandes was, for the most part, neutralized. Marcus Rashford didn't really make the impact that I think we're accustomed to seeing from him. He did. He did draw a penalty, or a penalty was called uh, for a foul on him in the box. It was overturned by VAR. That was, I guess, the biggest moment of the game. But uh, VAR finally. makes uh, has a decision go against Manchester United something that uh, as a Chelsea fan and I'm sure other fans of of Premier League clubs are not accustomed to it seems like United always gets all the calls but not not on Saturday nil nil pretty straightforward both clubs really are just trying to pull themselves back into the top four race maybe even into the title race Man Man City certainly in my opinion still has a shot at the title really anyone does with the uh, margins so close this Premier League season. I think the questions of, of, of Ole out have certainly died down, um, even after getting eliminated from the Champions League last week. It it, it just seems like the Glazers aren't going to do anything. There's no point in talking about it further. I think everything that needs to be said on the topic has been said. Man City, the the... Pep stuff leaving, I mean, that was bogus to begin with, but with the new contract and with Man City turning things around, it was only a matter of time until Man City got things right and Pep returned to his normal self tactically. And they're certainly looking a lot better. Kevin De Bruyne looks like he'll be getting a new contract too. That's that's uh, another boost for the club. Let's move on to the next match from the weekend. Chelsea versus Everton. I said last week on the podcast that I thought Everton were going to give Chelsea some uh, some troubles. They're a different style of club than Chelsea had been used to be uh, used to be playing during this during the uh, I think it was nine match unbeaten run. And finally, they drop points. They drop 
they actually lose to Everton 1-0 in a, another very tight game, another match that I think uh, you really couldn't see much separation between the teams, even though they were going in opposite directions because Everton were really struggling. It looked like they were they had some serious concerns with the depth of their squad, and Chelsea, on the other hand, were utilizing their squad depth, even with injuries to Hakim Ziyech and uh, a couple other guys were stepping up in big moments and winning games and gaining points, competing at the top of the table. Well, Everton turned things around at home at Goodison Park, were able to get penalty early in the ma- early in the match, excuse me, to make it one nil. Everton kind of took command from there and sat back, let Chelsea move forward and try to capitalize on the counter with Dominic Calvert Lewin. They actually were. Uh, pretty silent in the second half, and Chelsea had the best opportunities, certainly, of the latter 45 minutes. Mason Mount and Reese James both had shots go off the post. Good effort from Chelsea, though. I have to say, as a fan, I thought they played pretty well. They got some bad bounces. Jordan Pickford uh, made some, some actually nice saves. I know he gets criticized a lot, by myself included, but he played well in, in, a, in, in a big moment at home in front of fans too, which is a big deal. So as a Chelsea fan, I you know, I'm not I'm not really too upset at that result. A loss had to come had to come sometime. It's a shame that it had to come against a club that was struggling in terms of form like Everton, but we saw early early in the season how explosive Everton can be, and once they get that early goal, they have the the defensive players to sit back. Chelsea through, through the last two matches, has looked disconnected offensively. I think that is the a, a bigger concern to me than the actual results from the matches because Chelsea have to compete now with... It's, it's usually just Liverpool and Man City, right, at the top of the table, but now there's Tottenham, uh, Southampton is making some noise, Aston Villa, West Ham. These are good clubs that are vying for a shot in the top six, and Chelsea now have to deal with not just figuring out their own attack, but staying stout defensively as well, because we know Southampton and, and, and Aston Villa can absolutely kill you on the counter, and they have some really good attacking players. So Frank Lampard really has to find a balance with this team and figure out how to score goals while still maintaining that strong back line, because as against Wolves later in the week, he, he moved things up, and Wolves had a pretty easy time on the attack because they have these electric players like Podence and Neto who were able to break through the midfield and score not easily but relatively well. The other note from Chelsea is that Edouard Mendy uh, had had his first stretch of bad games for Chelsea since he came to London against Wolves. He wasn't great uh, on, on Wolves' first goal. It was a short side goal on the near post, should have been saved. And uh, Chelsea lose two matches in, in a week after going nine unbeaten in the Premier League. So all around, it really just wasn't a great week for the Blues. And Lampard's got to ride in the ship because Chelsea have the talent to compete for the title. It's going to be a real shame if they don't do something in this open Premier League season. Moving on now to another disappointing Arsenal match. Burnley won, Arsenal nil. It's Arsenal's fifth straight home loss, and it's Burnley's first time ever in the league winning at the Emirates or at, at away against Arsenal. 
It's a huge win for Burnley. They're trying to turn their get their season back on track after starting off low in the table. They're making definitely making a resurgence in the table now thanks to the win over the weekend. And it's looking like they have a real shot to stay up after starting the season again really slow. Uh, the defense, which we've, I think, been accustomed to playing very strong and being kind of that brick wall back line that centers the whole team, had struggled. But shutting out Arsenal is definitely a good start. And there's there's so much discussion going on right now with Arsenal and with Mikel Arteta that can easily distract a team like Burnley. But they stayed focused. They stayed. They stuck with their game plan. Sean Dyche came out with a really good game plan to not necessarily beat Arsenal in attack, but really just stay stout defensively. And it's it was something that Burnley had struggled with through the beginning of the season. And finally, they put things together together and have a great uh, defensive performance. An own goal by Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang it was the only goal of the match. Helped out Burnley in a big way. It's incredibly ironic that... Aubameyang finally scores an open play goal, and it's an own goal hurting his team that could really use his help right now. Switching over to the Arsenal side, you know, I just said there's so much to talk about, and I'll start again with the manager, which is where a lot of the criticism has gone to, and in my opinion, rightfully so. Mikel Arteta has put out some questionable lineups. He continues to play players like Hector, Hector Bellerin, Granite Xhaka, these guys who have really struggled and just are not playing their best football right now. Xhaka with a red card in the second half in the 56th minute. It's the second match in recent days where uh, Arsenal player has gone sent off via the red card for Xhaka just a couple days ago. And then uh, uh, I think it was about two match weeks ago, Pepe got sent off in a match that Arsenal lost. So there's clearly a discipline issue within the club. I think a lot of that has to do with the struggles just in general because when you're struggling on the pitch in the matches, it it absolutely translates to the training to the training ground and you know there's got to be some conflict within the team right now about who's going to score the goals. Players aren't playing great defensively. Even Gabriel, who's been so consistent throughout this season, has had a couple of bad matches. So it's it's a it's a temperamental issue within Arsenal, and Mikel Arteta's job is to get the club back on track, and so far he hasn't been able to do that. The results continue to be bad, and Arsenal, I don't think, are going to get relegated. That's that's a, a, a crazy thing to say, to think, like, to think that a club like Arsenal would even be in the spot in the first place, but to get relegated is just unthinkable. So it's really... A question of where does Arsenal go from here? Do they stick with Mikel Arteta? Work through the January transfer transfer window. Hopefully uh, the board, Stan Kroenke, backs him, gives him some money to use and spend and improve that team, especially the midfield where they've really been lost without Thomas Partey. They could use another midfielder there. Or do they fire Arteta and look for a Pochettino, for a Allegri, for a new manager to hopefully spice things up again at Arsenal and get them into at least the top 10 and in the future in the top four race and contending for a title. It's it's a really curious case of a club 
that has completely fallen from grace that appeared to hire the right manager, Mikel Arteta. He wins the FA Cup, wins the Community Shield, but in the league, he just hasn't been able to put it together. And you can look at injuries, you can look at the red cards and, and players just not, not performing as well as they should. But it goes back to the manager, in my opinion. The lineups have been questionable. The style of play just doesn't work. He, he plays too much through the back. It's it's clear. It slows things down. Things down. The ball doesn't get to the, the best players on the pitch, the strikers like Aubameyang and Lacazette, enough for them to consistently score goals. And it's hurt everyone. It's hurt Aubameyang. It's hurt, it's, it's hurt Arsenal for sure. And um, it may cause Arteta to lose a job that just three months ago seemed incredibly secure. As of recording this podcast, it is uh, Arsenal is playing right now against Southampton midweek match, a match that re- they really could win, could use a win in, rather. And uh, right now they trail 1-0. Theo Walcott just scored a goal like two minutes ago. I just saw it pop up on my phone. Uh, <laughs> it's it's just another blow to, to Arsenal. Theo Walcott, of course, the former gunner, coming back to the Emirates and scoring again. If Arsenal can't beat Southampton or at least get a point out of it. I mean, it's it's looking really glim for Arteta because they play Chelsea and Man, uh, Man City, I think, in the next couple games. Man City in the league, they play Brighton, Chelsea, and that's it to round out the calendar year. Um, oh, they play Everton too, sorry. They play Everton on Saturday. Um, so three really tough matches, and if Arteta can't turn things around here in against Southampton right now. It's pretty early in the match. It's, you know, 25th minute. Still time for Arsenal to come back, but man, that would uh, that would be a, a really devastating result if they can't pull out a point against the Saints. Liverpool-Fulham was actually one of the more entertaining matches from the weekend. I was really impressed with the way Fulham played, even though they weren't able to get the three points. They drew with Liverpool 1-1, which is still a great accomplishment for a newly promoted club like Fulham, especially with their struggles recently. It's always great to see a a U.S. guy like Anthony Robinson play excellent on the biggest stage. And he was a key part of Fulham's attack in this game. I was really impressed with not just Robinson, but also um, uh, Ruben Loftus-Cheek, Bobby Reed, uh, one of their best scorers, it it would seem, uh, got the goal in the 25th minute. And it looked like Fulham was was going to pull things out, and then the penalty in the 79th minute. To me, the the handball call, which led to the penalty, was a really questionable decision by the referee in the match. Wijnaldum had a free kick. He hit it into the wall. It looked clean from uh, from the first view as soon as it happened, and then upon VAR looking at it, it did hit the arm of a Fulham defender, an arm that was pinned against the chest of the the Fulham defender, which makes it a questionable decision in my mind because I I believe it was it's only handball if the arm is intentional, the arm is stuck out intentionally, or it's somehow directly impeding a goal scoring opportunity. Which on a free kick, it's not. It, it really isn't. The you can't say that the ball was going in. Now at the same time, you can't say it wasn't. But with an arm pinned to, to the chest like that, there's no way that it's intentional in any way, shape, or form. I don't really understand the penalty call, and it, it goes back to the 
So the handball rule now in the Premier League, it's so confusing. It's been changed so many times. No one, not even the players, know what it is. There, there have been multiple players who have, who have come out, including, I think, Andy Robertson from Liverpool, who have said, yeah, we, we don't know what this rule is. And how are the fans supposed to know, obviously? So it's, it's just a whole big mess. But Liverpool take advantage. They convert the penalty. They tie it up at 1-1. I'm sure Jurgen Klopp isn't going to be thrilled at the way his team played. Now, they were without Diego Jata. That's a huge loss for them. He's, he's been a key part of their attack. But it's Fulham. I think Liverpool should have... Uh, they, they seemed a little more tentative than I think we're used to. Not exactly the, the excellent quality of play that made them champions last season. But it's, it's just another match that um, it, it's, it's part of the grind of the Premier League season. Fulham isn't going to go down easily. And, and I, even with one of the best clubs in the world, they're still going to compete hard and manage to claw at a point. This match could have gone several directions. Liverpool had chances. Fulham definitely had, had quite a few opportunities to take the lead and weren't able to convert. So 1-1 draw there. Fulham is getting set to play Brighton today, later, and Liverpool is going to play Tottenham in a huge match of a clash of top-of-the-table clubs. Really curious to watch and see what unfolds there. I apologize for not uh, uh, being able to break down that match this episode. Hopefully next week, though, I will. There's Right now, there's there's a Premier League match every day. All, uh, it's 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 that time of the year as we approach Christmas and the in the in the new year, multiple matches a week uh, for each club, and once again on the weekend it's a packed slate of games. So again, uh, I apologize, but that is Liverpool Tottenham is a huge huge match. So many so many implications there on the, on the future of the season. I'll be really interested to see uh, not just how Liverpool responds to a draw, which. In my, you know, should have been a win. That's it's Fulham, but also Tottenham. They drew on the weekend to Crystal Palace. They conceded late in the 81st minute. Schlupp for Crystal Palace got the goal and earned a point for Crystal Palace, who are now in the top 10 of the Premier League. Really big accomplishment for them. And meanwhile, Tottenham, after a great stretch of matches where it looked like they were the title favorites. I've dropped off just a, a bit, um, and the Liverpool match is a great opportunity for Mourinho, Harry Kane, and, and Son, and, and those players there who had started off so well to get back on track and gain some points on one of the best clubs in the Premier League. So it's a huge match for them and a chance to regain their form from the start of the season. Some of the other matches of the weekend to get into... Actually, Friday, West Ham beat Leeds 2-1. Another really exciting match between two clubs that love to attack. West Ham off to a fantastic start, and with this win, they're up into 8th, I believe, in the Premier League table. Leeds fall back to 13th, but we know what they can do on a daily basis. Still an incredibly strong attacking team led by Marcelo Bielsa and his Bielsa ball uh, counterattacking style, so they're not going anywhere. As for the match itself, it was fairly even. Klich got leads on the board in the sixth minute with a penalty. Suchek responded in the 25th for West Ham. And it kind of stayed in a deadlock for most of the second half. 
a couple good chances for either side. Uh, uh, the uh, Leeds goalkeeper, Melier, is one of the r- rising stars in the Premier League. He, again, showed up in a big way for most of the match. He did eventually concede, though, in the 80th minute to Ogbana, who slotted a ball home to give West Ham the win and the three points. In this wide-open Premier League season, we really don't know where clubs are going to finish, and a club like West Ham or even Leeds, who are outside the top 10 at the moment, could make their way up into the top six. It's really not out of the question uh, when you look at how close and how compact the table is this year. West Ham have a really great collection of players like uh, Michele Antonio, Albana that I just mentioned, um, Declan Rice. For, for a club that had a lot of turmoil over the summer, they've really responded nicely and have a, a good young core. Now, granted, some of those guys like Aaron Cresswell are probably going to be sold in January or even in next summer, but they're building something really exciting just from a neutral perspective. They play Chelsea next weekend in another London derby, a match that has a lot of bragging rights associated to it. West Ham has won the last two outings between the clubs. Uh, Chelsea, I mean, they, goodness, I don't even know what's going to happen if if they lose to West Ham three years in a row because uh, the West Ham supporters can be quite brutal at times. So um, ho- hopefully Chelsea doesn't fall again to the Hammers, but it's going to be a really tight match. And looking at the way Chelsea have played defensively in the last couple games, I'm definitely worried for them. Frank Lampard has to uh, pick a lineup that doesn't hold back, that is aggressive, and most importantly, can score early. One thing that always frustrates me when I watch Chelsea, and it's, it's become a consistent problem in my opinion, is that they start incredibly slow and often it leads not necessarily always to the other their opponents scoring but to them getting in a groove with a with a club like West Ham especially a young club on a great run of form it's essential that Chelsea get their players uncomfortable early and to me that starts with being aggressive right from kickoff putting Werner up front and possibly benching uh, Abraham and Giroud just for this game. I think Werner deserves a chance to play up front. He's really struggled on the wing rolls, and his creativity can open things up for the attacking midfielders, Havertz, Pulisic, whoever is played on the wings. Uh, I, I think Werner is what this club needs right now. They need a little bit of boost of energy up front. Giroud has played excellently in the past couple of games, but I think uh, uh, Werner would suit better for this match um and yeah you know Chelsea should should get a win here I mean you can't lose three in a row that's for sure and even a point I think would be disappointing however West Ham are on a great run here and they're not going to be they're not going to be easy to defeat uh David Moyes has his club playing really well and uh, you know, Frank Lampard needs to take the handbrake off and go for it in this match because Chelsea can't afford to drop more points if they want to be serious title contenders. That's just the reality of their current situation. As for Leeds, they have a tough midweek match against Newcastle before traveling to Manchester United on Sunday in what will surely be a really exciting Sunday match. 
certainly a test for Man United uh, with with Leeds' strong attack. Can can that Manchester United back line with Lindelof, Maguire uh, hold up and be able to contain Leeds for the full 90 minutes? Some of the other matches to look ahead to on the weekend, Arsenal versus Everton on Saturday, 12.30. Should be an exciting matchup, and uh, we'll, we'll have to see what the results are of Arsenal of Southampton, which, are going on right, which is going on right now. But uh, can, can Everton continue their hot form and uh, uh, be an Arsenal team that is currently reeling and will likely be without their best player again, Thomas Partey, will be without uh, their former captain, Granit Xhaka, and will likely also be out with, without Nicola Pepe. So an interesting matchup. Got to think Everton is the favorite going in that one. I'm going to guess it's going to be uh, a 1-0, maybe 2-0 to Everton. That's my prediction. I think uh, Everton's attack is going to be too strong, and Dominic Calvert-Lewin is probably going to score against a shaky Arsenal backline. Tottenham also plays Leicester City on Sunday at 9.15. Leicester City, a team that uh, has kind of shrunken from the, the spotlight. Brendan Rodgers and his squad have struggled recently um, after a fantastic start. They lose to Fulham 2-1. They nearly lose to Sheffield in a game that they were just able to pull out with three points, winning 2-1 against the worst team in the Premier League. They did beat Brighton uh, this this Sunday 3-0. Uh, that, that's a good win. I mean, that that that's Brighton is a tough team to beat. But just looking at, at the previous results before that, they they had some draws in the Europa League. They lose to Liverpool. I mean, I think Leicester are still in the mode where they'll be in that like top eight, top ten ish range. I'm not sure if they're going to contend for the top four this year. They were they were they lucked out last year because Manchester United and Chelsea kind of struggled at the start. They were able though to put things together after the Corona virus break and turn things around and Leicester were kind of pushed out and and put into the uh, fifth spot for the Europa League but uh, that'll be another good match Spurs uh, uh, with with we'll, we'll see how the Liverpool result uh, the Liverpool match goes but um, it's a big matchup for Spurs they they want to continue the momentum they've gained from a good win over Arsenal and a draw with Chelsea and Leicester even though they have been struggling and they're they're maybe not at their top form right now. You still have Jamie Vardy and you still have James Madison on the squad too. So, you know they'll still be dangerous and they'll and they'll they'll press Tottenham. The one thing against Tottenham though is that you don't want to be too aggressive and give into Mourinho's park the bus mentality where he'll hit you on the counter. I I actually think Liverpool are really good at kind of matching. The defensive intensity of their opponent, up uh, their opponent. Sorry, and um, I, I think they're a good matchup for Tottenham. So I, I, I think it'll be a close match. Tottenham is the better squad, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna make, I'm gonna be a little bold here. I think Leicester come away with this one in a one nil win. So I tried a new thing this week where I put a poll question on Twitter, and uh, just some, just a, a topic that I was thinking about throughout the week. And I wanted to hear what your guys' thoughts on were on it. Um, so the question was, who is to blame for Arsenal's struggles? Mikel Arteta, the players, or the ownership? And it was actually pretty split. 
between all three pretty close. Um, Arteta and the ownership seemed to be the the leading factors that people were thinking. And I 100% agree. I think it, it may, the Arsenal struggles mainly fall on those two shoulders. I talked about Mikel Arteta and what he needs to do better a little bit earlier. But looking back just the past two years and really since Arsene Wenger left, Arsenal have been one of the few clubs in the Premier League to not invest a whole lot of money into their squad in recent years and keep on some of the players from an older era. Hector Bellerin is a, is a great example of this. Uh, was was there under was a young player under Arsene Wenger and has struggled recently and Stan Kroenke and and Edu have been resistant to moving on from him when I think it's not a bad option to uh, some of the other guys uh, Saeed Kalasinac, uh, Socrates, Mustafi, even Rob Holding. I mean these are all players that are past their prime that you can sell for pretty good money and that can be invested back into the club for, say, a midfielder or a, another winger. You know, it, it comes down to the owner, um, uh, Stan Kroenke, buying into this club and really investing his time and effort and money, of course, into into the club that he bought. And I always wonder when there's an American owner for a, a Premier League team, if they really understand what they're getting themselves into. And with Kroenke, I'm not so sure about that. And it's why I really see the, I understand why the fans are get so upset at Kroenke and blame a lot of their recent struggles on him. However, with this current setup, with what Arsenal has right now, Mikel Arteta can be doing better. Will, will another manager come in and immediately turn around the, squ- the squad? No, probably not. But it's a combination of those factors. And you can even look at the players a little bit because the red cards are just unacceptable. The decision-making has been poor. And Aubameyang, who's their captain, has also been poor. There's there's not really anyone else to blame other than the players for that. It's really, It's a combination of factors that have caused the demise of Arsenal Football Club. I'm going to continue putting out these poll questions throughout the week. Feel free to respond, give your thoughts in the comments. That's going to do it for this episode of the Upper 90. We got another great slate of matches coming up this week and uh, into the the midweek, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. It's it's Premier League-filled matches all the way up until New Year's. You can follow me on Twitter, at Culp underscore Sam. You can also follow WMUC Sports on Twitter, at WMUC Sports. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll talk to you next week.